0: Tim is the lead optimization strategist at MNET in South Bend, where he focuses on developing smart sewer and water systems to improve water quality in rivers and lakes across the country. He received his bachelor's and master's degree from the University of Notre Dame in civil environmental engineering, and has been focused on combining technology with environmental stewardship ever since. So, without further ado, Tim McGregor.
1: Thank you all for having me. I am extremely happy to be here. I know we just did a prayer, um, but I want to do another prayer because it's theology on tap. Um, So this is more of a reflection. It's one of my favorite reflections. It's from St. Cyril of Jerusalem. And I think it ties in extremely well to what we'll be talking about tonight. So the reflection goes, The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water, welling up into eternal life. This is a new kind of water. A living, leaping water, welling up for those who are worthy. But why did Christ call the grace of the Holy Spirit water? Because all things are dependent on water. Plants and animals have their origin in water. Water comes down from heaven as rain. And although it is always the same in itself, it produces many different effects. One in the palm tree, another in the vine, and so on throughout the whole of creation. It does not come down now as one thing, now as another, but while remaining essentially the same, it adapts itself to the need of every creature that receives it, In much away as the Holy Spirit. So, let me. Uh, so, I'll be getting back into that. Allow me to introduce myself a little bit more. My name is Tim Ruggaber. I am a poop engineer. You heard this correctly. I am a poop engineer. Your poop and pee is my bread and butter. Every time you flush your toilet, you put food into my children's mouths. (laughs) Ew. Is he going to talk about poop all night? I hope not. So what's actually interesting is that when I mentioned that I work with poop, um, it often will become the conversation of the whole night. If anyone was here last week, uh, you heard Gabriel Reynolds. Gabriel is a fantastic man. I was at a dinner party with Gabriel, and he asked what I did. And they asked another question, and asked another question. And literally, we spent the next three hours talking about wastewater. And what's interesting is his wife is Lebanese, and her English is very, very good, but he would have to stop and translate some words to her. And you would just see her expression going like, <laughs> So, yes, I am a poop engineer. I did not intend to become a poop engineer. I kind of fell into it, if you will. Um, <laughs> So I actually started uh, as, a, as a normal civil engineer. Someone wants to focus on infrastructure. Went to college, did all that whole thing. And if I had fulfilled my plan at the beginning of my senior year, I'd be designing huge bridges or the next strip malls that come into town, all those things. Uh, but I took a class. I took a class um, by a professor uh, who was about groundwater hydrology. I had no interest in groundwater hydrology. But I just happened to be the only class that would fulfill my schedule. But I ended up loving it. And what really attracted me to it was that this professor, he got it. He got that the purpose of engineering is to solve real problems that benefit everyone around him. And actually to take care of creation itself. So he very intrinsically brought his faith into his work and into his research and into actual helping real people. And that was just a whole paradigm shift in how I viewed my work. Engineering is you write this huge, long math problem, you come up with an answer at the end, you're done. Well, when you start adding a social dimension to it, it changes the question. It's no longer about, well, should I design this road, should I design this next strip mall? It's how is this actually helping God's creation? How is this helping God's people? And so I went on to, I did a year of volunteer service after college. And I worked in West Virginia, and I did all sorts of, um, I worked on home construction. So if there was, um, so it was kind of like a Habitat for Humanity. But that was where I began to understand that every action I did actually impacted real people. In college, in grad school, all those things, it's very easy to talk about, well, this, this thing out there that I'm trying to solve. But if I improperly put a roof on someone's house, their whole house is going to rot. And if I had to choose to solve a problem that's not worth solving, there's no good in that at all. So I was like, I'm geared up. I'm going to go save the world. I went back to grad school. I had a professor. I had a professor who also wanted to save the world. It was going to be awesome. He signed up this great project where I was going to go to the Ukraine. I was going to go to former Soviet um, missile bases and was going to get all the jet fuel out of the groundwater. Pretty freaking cool, huh? Uh, except for the fact that the American side decided to embezzle all the funds and there was no project. So yeah, I was at Notre Dame then and I had no project. And so the advisor also said, so um, I have this project about sewers, are you interested? I wanted to get my master's degree, I said yes. But he said no, really. This is important. So if you take out the lovely handout that's on here, let's see the first picture. is a sailboat in there. He showed me this picture. Any guesses as to where it is? is that? Silver Beach. I heard other people saying, you know, I thought it was going to be third world. I thought it was going to be Australia. Give it up to my best man for getting it right. So Lake Michigan. Ew. So the nice blue serene stuff is Lake Michigan. The nice brown stuff is poop. And you have that unfortunate sailboat going right through there. So I'll get into a little bit more about how that all happens. But you look at that and you're like, this is a real problem that is impacting real people. And if we keep doing this, we're not going to have a world around much to be stewards of. So at that point, I was sold. I jumped into it, if you will, uh, and decided that I wanted to really pursue taking care of the environment in a real way because it was going to benefit the people that I actually work with, that I live with. It was going to benefit my children moving forward, and it was a real problem to solve. But, so I I have to warn you, some of you know my wife. My wife is a philosopher and a theologer, a theologist, studies theology. And um, so, and she was always like, well, why? What's, what's behind it? What, why does your faith combine this, or compel you to move forward into this? And so we're going to go, I mean, we all know that water is sacramental. We all know that we baptize our wa- children in water. Um, you were all baptized in water. I don't think any of you were baptized in sewage, although it would be equally as valid. Um, but Why? So if, if you go to Genesis, okay, I'm not going to start with the, the familiar Genesis of the where you you know the seven days of creation. If you go to the second creation story, you know how it starts. It doesn't start with God created the heaven and the earth. It doesn't start with any of that. It started with God created a stream, and from that stream all of life came. Specifically, it says there was no field, shrub on earth, no grass of the field had sprouted. For the Lord God had sent no rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a stream was welling up out of the earth and watering all the surface of the ground. Water was the first creation. That, pre- that was preempted every other step that was in there. Now, you guys are going to get a science lesson in addition to a theology lesson. And there's a couple of science teachers over here. What makes water so awesome? Okay, so I, I, I have water here. What happens if I put an ice cube in it? Does it float or sink? It floats. It floats, it floats because of a very special property called hydrogen bonding that um, I think only water and one other or two other chemicals actually exhibit that. What happens if water didn't float? If water didn't float, every winter, Lake Michigan would completely freeze solid because the water would freeze, drop to the bottom, and then fill up from the bottom, freeze it solid. The temperature of the Earth would go down about 35 degrees. So you think winter is cold now. Um, so there's, there's a, a huge property for why water is so awesome in that regard. You also have the fact that water absorbs a huge amount of energy. So if water did not absorb that energy, I keep losing my notes. Yeah, so, it would be even, ah, thank you, a future <laughs> engineer. So, if, if that property, how much energy and water holds, could change just even slightly, then all the water returns, water vapor, cloud cover, we turn basically into Venus, and there would be no life. Um, let's say the axis of the Earth, axis of the Earth, 23 and a half degrees, Earth's tilted, that's why we have our seasons. But water so perfectly complements that that if that axis was even uh, a margin of degree moved, if it was a little bit less, South Bend would be a polar ice cap. If it was a little bit more, South Bend would be in the tropics. Some people may not complain at being in the tropics, but there's a place for the tropics. So all these things, all these things God created to have it be perfectly lined up in there. When When I was dating my wife, she had given me a book. Actually, before I was dating my wife, this is one of the... Predating, awkward, predating things. Uh, she gave me a book. And in this book, it talked about, it's called The Evidential Power of Beauty. I highly recommend reading it um, by Thomas Dubé. And in it, it says, whenever there is something beautiful, it creates a yearning within your soul. And that yearning is a call for God, the completion of that beauty. So it, it probably sounds a little bit catchy, but um, when I think of water and I think of the beauty of, how perfectly water is created—it creates that yearning in my heart, and it creates that yearning towards God, towards the Creator—to make sure that it all fits together perfectly. All right. So, no, a complementary aspect to that—if you think about it as a different way—is that beer is also water. And if you misquote Tom, uh, Benjamin Franklin. Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. For those of you who are beer snobs, it was actually about wine. I'm sorry about that. So then, let's go back to Genesis then. So Genesis, ooh. So Genesis, let's go back to the first chapter. So we have everything created. We have the earth created. We have the, um, so you know, we go through all the different days of creation. And then on the sixth day, the Lord said, let us make human beings in our image after our likeness. So I'm going to skip over a couple of different steps here. And then it goes, God blessed them and said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth. So then he goes on to give us all seed-bearing plants and every tree, and then all the animals, birds of the air, all the creatures on the ground. All these good things. He takes us and gives us stewardship over them. Makes us the creator, makes the created responsible for maintaining the order of how everything works. This is probably God's biggest mistake in the whole world. Because we, by our nature, can't think of how what I do now is going to impact everything around us. And that's what kind of gets back into, um, that's what gets back into that whole... That whole picture of the sailboat. Human beings try really hard, actually, to do things right. And try really, really hard to think through how all the steps of creation, or how all the steps are gonna work together, how what I do now is gonna impact the next thing, impact the next thing. So, you know why there's that big plume of poop? Because engineers did their best 150 years ago. So, specifically, a little bit more about what I do. Um, So, I work in smart water. Uh, so the problem, I have one of my coworkers back there, too. I can be sure to fill you in on all the nitty-gritty details. Um, but there is, um, 150 years ago, cities were built, and they had raining and they had flooding. So they thought, this is bad. So I'm going to build all these sewers. So they built sewers to carry the rainwater to prevent flooding and take it to the river. Shortly after that point, people decided that, hey, I need to have rain I want to have water in my house. So when I flush the toilet, there's a pipe right here. I'm going to put everything into the pipe, goes out to the river, gets washed away. Not my problem. Uh, of course, there are still typhoid and cholera and all those other good things. So eventually, like when our parents' generation, they started building wastewater treatment plants. So in all the old cities, they build wastewater treatment plants, take all the stuff from when, you dry, from when you flush your toilet, take a shower. All that goes to the plant during dry weather but you still have all the rain going into that same pipe. So that same pipe carries both everything from your house as well as all the rain. Too much for a plant to handle, and it overflows and goes into the rivers. Um, That's uh, fundamentally where we work on. So New York has this problem, uh, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, South Bend, a whole bunch of communities. So we're trying to find cost-effective ways to analyze that moving forward. But why does it matter? I mean, it matters because we're, of course, you know, we have all the diseases and things we have to worry about. But we only have a finite amount of water. Does anyone know where the water that we have actually came from? No. No. Before then, where did how did water get on Earth? (laughs) I would go for an indirect answer for that one, but I want the. What's that? Space. space. Exactly. Meteorites and um, comets and all those things. So all this water came to Earth on a meteorite. Isn't that awesome? This came from a meteorite from space. And it got into the meteorite because there's all sorts of these chemical processes. I won't get into that. But the amount of water that we have on Earth isn't changing. So this water... Contains dinosaur pee. Specifically, I was with a couple of my coworkers a couple of days ago and we got our calculators. It contains water that has been dinosaur pee thousands of times. If you look at it from a statistical perspective, this probably contains at least one molecule of Julius Caesar's spit. Because water is just continually reused. And you guys remember the water cycle, right? We actually have a copy of the water cycle here. Um, So on the back page, I'm sure there's all sorts of songs of how things are going through. The water cycle is important. And, you know, it's how Earth rejuvenates itself. It has its all balance. You know, you can sing circle of life, all those good things. But I want to go back to the the picture of the globe underneath the picture of the um, sailboat. Any ideas what that big blue circle is? That is all the water on Earth, specifically. How about the little one next to it? That is all the fresh water, including great glaciers and groundwater. How about that little tiny thing right on uh, Georgia? That, well, all the fresh water is drinking water. Um, That is all the water that is in all the surface places on Earth. So you think Lake Michigan, you think Lake Superior. These are huge lakes. If you sum them all together, they're that dot sitting in Georgia. So we don't have a whole heck of a lot that we can mess with. So we have tons of salt water, but and they're really not that much when compared it to the whole volume of the earth. We have a good amount of fresh water, but it's in glaciers and it's trapped underneath the ground. So it's not always the easiest stuff to get at. And then we have the surface wire. All right. So, what does this have to do with you guys? You want to take this wire here? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. To maintain the Garden of Eden? Yes, the, the of garden of
0: Eden of well,
1: who is responsible for? I guess the question goes I have my perspective on that is that we're here. We have the greatest impact on the environment that goes on right now. Everything I'm talking about today is direct human impact. Um, so it is not a matter of whether it's climate change or however you want to look at that. This is direct human impact. Um, and it's from us. So it's Even if that would mandate was originally only applied to Garden of Eden, by the fact that we are the ones who decide how to change our world and change our environment, I would say it, can, it applies to all of us here. and applies to every human being. By farming, we change our environment. By driving our car, we change our environment. By um, drinking beer, we change our environment. Um, these are all different aspects of our life. And, we, and the question is, how do we do those things? How do we do those things and still maintain our mandate from God to be fruitful and multiply, as well as to be stewards of the earth? And that's, that's where the question is, because the water that we use, as I said before, is the only water we have. And then we get into this water cycle here. So this water, anyone know where this water came from? Other than that picture? Um, It came from the groundwater. So we pumped it up from the ground. We have awesome aquifer here. We are very, very blessed. We have tons and tons of water. If I take this water and pour it on the ground here, where does that water go? It goes up to the sky. And because three quarters of the Earth's surface is water, where's that water, that water going? More than likely, um, where's that going to more than likely fall on the ocean? So that's going to become salt water. In the normal gambit of things, that doesn't really matter because the ocean is also evaporating, we're moving things around, we're good. But here's where human impact comes in. So what happens if I pump more and more water out of the ground? than the rain that falls on it is. So we're taking all this fresh water that we have, and through this great water cycle that we have here, it's being sucked up, it's going into the air, and it's turning into salt water. All this fresh water and turning into salt water. So this is where we can't create water, we can't destroy water, but we can change its forms. We can make it into salt water, where we can't use it anymore. Big deal, big whoop. Well, does it impact me, we have plenty of water here. Well, in places in Kansas and Nebraska and Texas, they used to have a lot of water and now it's gone because it takes 6,000 years for the aquifer to recharge and it will be gone in about 15 years. The water table has dropped 200 feet. And where has all that water gone? It's gone into the oceans. Where does it go when we pump it up and irrigate our crops? Well, it gets evaporated. Some of it gets absorbed by the plants. The plant transpires, is what it's called, and releases into the air. Again, majority gets sucked up, goes to the ocean. And this is where you have the direct impact of what goes on. But the question is, well, what, what can I really do about that? So I want, I want you to think about all the things that you use water for. Call them out. What things do you use water for on a given day? Shower. Shower. Yep. Cooking. Flush toilet. Yep. Just call them out. Drinking, yeah, we use it for drinking, we use it for cleaning. Cooking. Sorry? Swimming. Swimming, we use it for swimming. Water balloons. Water balloons. Good one. <laughs> I like that one. Any guess of how much water a given a normal American uses? Per day. day. Three gallons. Higher. How many? Fifty gallons, higher. Hundred gallons. A little higher. 120 gallons. The average American uses 320 gallons of water in their house a day. I'm actually going to lower that down to 100 because it's easier to do the math. Um, so how much water does America use? Anyone really good at math? You would think? Like. So there's 300 million people each use 100, gal- or 100 uh, gallons a day. So let's say 30 billion gallons of water. Sound good? Ah, but here's the fact. America uses 410 billion gallons of water each day. So that's equal to... uh, It's pretty close to the flow of the Mississippi. Yeah? I'm talking all of America's water usage. So, yes. So 410 million gallons or billion gallons of water a day. And the stuff that comes to your house is only... 30 million gallons per day. So less than 10%. Where does everything else go? So you have one of the things, you have ranchers, you have um, farmers, that pump it up, they irrigate. You have huge cooling towers that pump out water to cool what's going on within uh, wastewater treatment plants. You have all these things. So if you look actually at the diagram at the back, bottom underneath the water cycle, the purple is what actually gets used by people at their houses. If you look at it, so we have a lot going through thermoelectric cooling. We have a lot going through irrigation. Some going livestock, some going agriculture, mining, commercial, industrial. Domestic, 29 billion gallons are just like we have about figured out. And this is where our life choices come in a little bit more. I am all about low-flow toilets. I am all about turning off the water when you're brushing your teeth. I am all about not watering your lawn because then you have to mow it more and that's just more work and don't do that. So if we do all those conservation things, those are great. Those are wonderful. We need to do those things. But we are impacting this. We are impacting the domestic part. We can impact the rest of everything. So if you look at lava, it is thermoelectric cooling. And that's a lot of the water that gets consumed or evaporated. That water gets consumed or evaporated. Water doesn't disappear. It becomes part of the air. It evaporates into the air, falls in the oceans. We no longer have fresh water. Um, So, but where, how do we use that water? Where does that water go? And how can we impact that water? So, let me check my time real quick. Uh, okay. So I'm going to use one of my favorite statistics here, and I'm all about poop statistics, so please follow with me on this. Um, so it takes about, or we're, I'm going to have a, a pound beef hamburger. So how many gallons does it take to create a pound of beef hamburger? Any guesses? 30 gallons. gallons. Keep going up. Keep going up. Do I hear 400? 400. 400. 400. 1,000. Keep going up. 10,000. Finally, someone goes high. Go down. Um, It's about 1,800 gallons, according to the EPA, of water that is consumed to create the grain that the um, cow will drink, or cow will eat. The water that the cow will drink. A cow is actually extremely inefficient. So 1,800 gallons of water to make my hamburger. If I change that to a chicken burger, any guesses? How much water would that be needed? 500? Actually, you're about right. About 500. Good. So if I replace a pound of beef with a pound of chicken, it's the same as me not flushing my toilet for 146 days in terms of water conservation. And there's a whole bunch of things that are like there. Basically, everything that we consume takes water. Jeans, 500 gallons of water. Uh, beer, 20 gallons of water for a pint. Uh, water, wine, anyone that's a wine drinker, 32 gallons per glass of water. Uh, so there's all these things that when we're manufacturing, when we're creating... We use that water, and this is where my impact, what my choice is, my decision is, directly impacts what's going on other places. So I was talking about earlier how my faith and how the education and how my view of of the world allowed me to see that when I'm doing something, it impacts people all around me. So in my line of work, I have to recommend hundreds of millions of dollars of projects. That's going to directly impact the person that lives right next door to me. My sewer rate's going to go up to pay for that. Ten bucks isn't going to kill me, but it might mean that someone else in town doesn't eat for a couple of days. That's a real awesome responsibility, and I need to have that mindset whenever I'm going my job. Similarly, if I'm going to be eating beef over chicken, for example, I realize that that 1,300 gallons of difference is going to be coming from the very places that don't have water to start out with. They're going to be coming from Kansas, they're going to be coming from Nebraska, they're going to come from Oklahoma, the places that have already sucked up all their water dry to make the feed for our animals. Now you can see, I, there's a balance in there. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know what the right answer is for each person. But I want to create the education for you to know what's happening. So I am not saying that everyone should go and be self-sustainable farmers. We don't have enough space to do that, honestly. I'm not saying people shouldn't be driving cars. I drove my car here. But I'm saying we need to do it with a sense of mindfulness, of how my actions will impact everyone else around them. So when we actually pursue our lives and pursue our lives with, um, with a sense of, well, we pursue our purchases, pursue how we eat, pursue all the decisions that we make throughout our day, there is a direct impact to that stewardship that God has created us to be. Now, there are some other parts that go on beyond that, too. Um, so my advisor, in addition to showing me discussing pictures of poop, also like to say that Americans have the most expensive pee in the world. Why do we say that? Because every medicine that we take is going to be partially consumed by our body, and it's going to be, the rest is going to be peed out. So here's another interesting fact. Wastewater treatment plants, like the one you see on the toll road or South Bends wastewater treatment plant, can't remove that chemical. They just don't have the process for that. They can. It, it's conceivable that it can potentially happen. Uh, it's very expensive to do that. But most plants don't. So if anyone um, is on estrogen pills, if anyone is on a pharmaceutical, all those kinds, that is going directly through you into our water, into the wastewater treatment plant, through the wastewater treatment plant, and in our case, into the St. Joseph River. So much so that fish all over the country, including in the St. Joseph River, are changing sex. So I have some very disgusting pictures on my computer here of fish testes in the St. Joe River that have eggs inside them. So boy fish have eggs inside them. This is an excellent example of how the actions we make impact things that we're not going to directly, it's not going to directly take us. Because we flush it down a toilet, it goes goes into the river, into Lake Michigan, we get our water from the groundwater, it's not going to impact us until it does. And if we take that even a step further, if we by our eating habits and by our me, drug medicine or medicine choices and other things change the fish then it's possible that we're going to create it so that fish would not be able to reproduce in the future. All because of our own choices. Again, it's up to you what you want to do with that. Uh, birth control is one of the major factors that causes this to happen. It's called the endocrine disrupting compound. Um, it may seem like a short-term solution but there are impacts beyond that. And the question is, how can we as Christians, as Catholic Christians, create that balance between what do we need now and what's going to be best for the environment moving forward? So, I've talked through most of my perspective, most of my thought about that, but I did want to... um, I did want to take a moment to... well. I didn't include one of my favorite faux Ben Franklin quotes as well. So I'm going to throw it in now because I'm almost out of time. Uh, so, in wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, in water there is bacteria. Uh, so, but this is a, actually a, a really good segue into the discussion questions that we're going to be having here. The discussion questions that we're having here really don't focus on Okay, we need to cut out all human development. We need to cut out anything, any advancement that's been made in the last 300 years in order to protect the environment. But what it does do is how do we find that balance? As Catholics, as being that stewards of the environment and as being, in my case specifically, a steward of water, how do I change my life to be able to to be more fruitful and more multiplying as God's commanded us to be? How do I do that to enable other people to do the same? And how do I enable that to keep our generation going, for my kids and their kids, and everything moving forward? Thank you very much for your attention. <laughs> Any questions?
0: You mentioned the amount of gallons of water it takes to like, produce a hamburger. What, yeah. How does it compare to like producing cheese?
1: Uh, Cheese is less because you don't have to kill the animal. Um, So I don't have the exact number. Uh, Where are my notes? I I do have some other research that is available as well. It could be pertinent. Um, So soybeans is 210 gallons. Wheat is 140. Corn is 110 gallons. Pork. I actually tend to go for pork or chicken. It's 580 gallons. So comparable to chicken. Uh, But I don't know about cheese or milk or those other things bacon yep
0: i was just wondering um you kind of talked about how eventually some of the water will evaporate from the oceans and end up back it'll oh, come back as rain uh, for us yeah, yeah. right um how do the I, it sound like you were kind of saying that the rate is much slower going back from the ocean to the to the surface water we have and definitely to aquifers, is that correct?
1: So let's assume that humans did nothing. We just got the water from the surface and we were still hunters and gatherers and all those things. If that was the case, there would, there would be a homeostasis. So the amount of rain that fell on the ocean would be equal to the evaporation that came up and it, everything would be in this great balance, which is how it's been for millions and millions of years. The issue comes in with, really in the last 50 years, since a lot of industrialization has gone on in the farming, really since that point and since there's been an increase in demand for energy, demand for manufactured goods, that's when the balance has started to change. And if we continue going down that road, that's what's going to be leading to issues. And that's where, so I mentioned everything that's going on in the Great Plains. It takes 6,000 years to fill up those aquifers in that nice homeostasis type thing it's been drained down in less than a hundred years by the water table has fallen two to three hundred feet in times
0: at places. Not that it's not important to do a lot of the things that you're uh, well you know do things about like maybe consume less beef maybe that's not a good example but some of these other things use less water in general in the ways that we can Um, are Do we have, like, the ability to produce very much water through, like, desalination from the oceans? Um,
1: The question is, do we have much ability to produce desalinization through the ocean? Um, The answer is we can, but it is extraordinarily expensive and Um, energy-intensive. Anyone know what desalinization is? So desalinization is you take... The water comes in from the ocean, you take out the clean water, you leave all the salts. That's basically it. But in order to do that, you have to either boil the water or force it through um, reverse osmosis filters. To boil the water takes a ton of energy like I was talking about before that one of the awesome properties of water is that it can absorb so much energy also makes it really hard to boil. The other aspect is you have to uh, put it through a filter which requires huge pumps and huge energy. So that is where if we keep going down this path we'll have to go towards that route but I hope we keep developing new technology to keep that from having to go to that point I've got a question Um, so for drinking water uh,
0: specifically for the home uh, what do you recommend for like safe drinking water as you mentioned there's lots of things in the water like coming out of the tap so what
1: what do you recommend for I fully endorse water comes out of the tap I drink it at my house I it has my stamp of approval on there the regulatory agencies do a fantastic job almost everyone I've met that works for the cities, that works for utilities, making sure that things are done right. And they really care about what they do. They know that their job is intrinsically important and care that you get the right water coming to your house. You do have instances like Flint. Those are extremely rare. Uh, actually, for everyone that lives in South Bend, I think in Mishawaka and Elkhart and all those areas, you, can get, it, you get yearly a report of the water quality that's happened for the previous year.
0: Read it. Right. Um, So one of the things that we've seen in more urban, like larger cities, like New York, uh, LA, San Francisco, is the idea of this idea called gray water. Hmm? You know, where they use water to recycle. Yeah. Um, As you know, future consumers or ones that are paying the bills right now, is that possibility going to be more affordable to households? Because that could hopefully save your bills and save the water going into the ocean.
1: Um, So it is throughout the entire city of LA has purple water, which is basically the same thing. It's slightly used water. Um, There, to do that, there's a, you have to get pipes. Um, So the biggest thing is getting infrastructure to you. And this is actually an important point that I want to make sure. Uh, So let's say everyone goes 100 gallons per gallon, or 100 gallons per person per day. Let's say we decrease that by half. Is your water bill going to go down? No, it's not. Because almost all the cost of that water bill is just the pipes and the pumps and the people and making sure that your treatment plant works. A very, very small fraction of that actually has to do with treating the water itself. So, this is part of the balancing act when we're talking about infrastructure and conservation and all those things. Yes, we can do all these additional things. We can cut all the water usage. That's not going to save us money. Or we can have, we can put in this Purple water, it's a great idea, but it's going to be a huge upfront investment to be able to do that. You can do it in your house. If you turn on your shower and wait for it to warm up, you can use that water to water your plants to do other things throughout your house. That is exactly the same type of thing as purple water or gray water. It is clear from your presentation that it is our moral duty to
0: protect our water supply. Why would you say that the USCCB has not made it a non-negotiable in the voter's guide?
1: I think that gets into the question of how do you do that balance in there? Uh, there is, so Pope Francis, or sorry, Pope Francis and Pope Benedict have talked explicitly about how pollution itself is a grave sin, and um, that we're stewards who call to protect against um, pollution. How you do that is, I guess the whole point of my talk is it's complicated. And there are several competing factors, several competing drivers into how we actually make all of our decisions. And I can't blankly say that no one should ever be beef again. I can't blankly say that that we should never drive our cars. Uh, But it's doing that with the perspective of how is this impacting everything around us. And I think that's what the USCCB is, is looking at, is looking at the whole picture. And it gets extremely complicated. How does what one farm does impact what goes on in the Gulf of Mexico it does the runoff from a field goes into in this case so we'll go let's say goes in the Kankakee which goes to Illinois River which goes to Mississippi River goes to Gulf of Mexico all the fertilizer is there you have algae that loves all that fertilizer that algae dies and then sucks all the oxygen from the water so there's a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico the size of Connecticut where nothing grows nothing lives same thing happened in uh, Lake Erie if you guys remember everything around Toledo a few years ago it, it, it all is interwoven and I can't say specifically what the bishops uh, have thought about that
0: how far do you think we are away from a suit like the one in, uh, in Dune are you familiar with Dune the science fiction novel I'm not sorry but they live in a desert and they, they wear a suit and it recycles their own pee and then they drink it <laughs>
1: You can totally go drink your own pee, and I will not judge you for that. But it, um, it,
0: it, it does its, uh, it, it filters it you know, <laughs> or something.
1: Um, I think we're actually quite a ways off from getting to that point, but I was talking to, to this table a little bit. There are legitimate plans. There have been millions of dollars spent on plans to pipe water from the Great Lakes to, uh, to Nevada because there's such a scarcity, and the Colorado River which supplies most of the water to the southwest, is dry at different times uh, because we're taking so much of the water. So that's a very real possibility that people are going to have to do extreme things. Now, if you think about, again, a little bit meta, you are drinking your own pee right here. Um, just by the very nature of how water works. But then you, I think actually one of the, the big things that is happening already is that When you get your sewage, you flush it, you go to the wastewater treatment plant, plants are getting increased and improved to the point where they can actually make the water nearly pristine at the end. So they can take out all of the pharmaceuticals I was talking about, take out all the nitrogates and ammonia and all those things, and then pump it back into the ground. And that's a way to continue your source of water, the groundwater balancing, as well as be able to stabilize the ground. Because if you suck out the ground, that can actually create massive sinkholes. And the whole area of Newport News, Virginia, uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, all that stuff is actually settled two feet because they sucked out so much of the groundwater. And now they're trying to push it back in.
0: Okay, so that was really, really cool, so thanks. Um, You mentioned Um, You gave that really cool, I guess, dichotomy between eating beef and eating bacon or chicken. Yeah. I like how you threw bacon in there. (laughs) Yeah, just like get in there. (laughs) Um, Are there any other ways that um, we could, like, find similar situations where it's not bacon and chicken as compared to beef, but, like, I don't know, driving a car versus riding a bike or something? Is is there some place where we can see other ways that we could impact the environment?
1: Every decision you make impacts the environment. If you buy a piece of clothing, instead of, that you don't really need. That is taking resources and water and pollution and fertilizers and everything to get to that point. If you, um, so you want to know how to save a ton of water? Go shopping at a resale shore store. Go make sure that you're clo- you mend your clothes. Um, yeah, you can choose to take the line bike that are all over South Bend now, rather than opposed to driving to your car. I am guilty. I live a mile from my office. I will often drive, um, and I need to change that, frankly. Um, But but every action you do does impact other things. Using plastic instead of using glass. Using bottled water as opposed to using tap water. It takes two gallons of water to make a gallon of of bottled water. And plus you have those nice little bottles you have to deal with now. Uh, So there's all sorts of things that are in there. Basically, everything that you consume is impacting the environment. Uh, Tim, could you talk a little bit about the water situation in South Bend and Granger, Mishawaka area, and some of the things that you're working on? So we're a little more in tune to what's going on here at home. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I think we do some pretty awesome stuff. So um, what my company does um, is that we basically try to treat our sewers and make them smart. So. Uh, what we'll do is we'll balance how the sewage flows depending on where there's capacity and where there's not. We'll hold water back when it's, uh, there's capacity Well, other part is overwhelmed and about ready to flood. We'll let that water go to the river. So basically we're creating a traffic network in sewers. Um, so you think about how a traffic pattern works. You have those nice little sensors in the road that make it sense when there's more traffic going one way so the green light gets longer, makes the red light longer in the other way. And it changes based on what the the traffic pattern is. We do the same thing with sewers. So if there's an area that really needs to get treatment and get to the plant fast, we give that higher priority. If there's an area that's a little bit slower, we'll hold that water back and do a giant balancing act in there. What's been the impact of that? Um, So 10 years ago, South Bend discharged 2 billion gallons of sewage every year into the St. Joe River. So there was some news about 10,000 gallons being released through an operator error. All of a sudden, that 10,000 gallons kind of looks like a drop compared to the 2 billion gallons that they had been doing before. Now that's de- now it's about 400 million gallons. So it's decreased by 75% or so. That's pretty awesome. That's a, lot of effort, that's a lot of growth. A lot of that has been through the work that we've done, that we've done with the city. Um, and the amount of E. coli, E. coli, you know, the bad bacteria that will give you, you know, bad stuff. Um, I don't want to go into all the details of it. Uh, so my kids think that the fact that I work with poop is the coolest thing in the world. Um, so I have to realize that when I'm talking to adults, I can't talk the same way as I do with my kids. Um, so the amount of E. coli has dropped more than half. The fish population in St. Trobe River is drastically improving, uh, despite the changing sex that I talked about. Uh, but there's, there are salmon in St. Joe River. There are a whole variety of the fishing is actually really good, especially if you go downstream up at the end. Um, so there's, there's been a lot of growth in there. 400 million gallons is still way too much. We're still working with the city to make that even better. So basically, the, the, that, so basically the river would be swimmable and fishable 99% of the time. is our goal. Um, right now, we're about 92% of the time, and we need to keep going.
0: Um, so I worked with the Bureau of Water Quality in Muncie for- Excellent. Yeah. Um, and one of the guys I was working for actually saw some of the sex changes in the fish. Mm -hmm. Um, do you know where to find actually statistics on percentage that this is actually affecting the population?
1: Um, let's see now. The statistic I had in place here was from National Geographic in 2013. Um, and it said, "This is from uh, Washington D.C. in the Potomac." It said, "We have found female germ cells in the testes of 82% to 100% of male smallmouth bass, and 23% of males from largemouth bass." That was from a five-minute Google search. You can find a lot more throughout the entire, no, throughout the internet.
0: Tim, we had a good conversation at our table about trying to put stewardship into our lives and what inevitably kept coming up and comes up in my own life is it's just hard. What's your personal response to that? Challenging me as a friend, challenging us as a community or a country or world when it's hard and inconvenient. Can you respond to that? I
1: completely agree with you. It's hard and inconvenient. Um, I wish I had a a silver bullet to say this is what we need to do and make it work better. Um, the approach that I take to many things in my life is actually a quote from St. Paul where it says I approach my faith with fear and trembling I approach my decisions with fear and trembling where I have to have the humility that I don't always know what's going to be best but I'm going to do what I think is best Um, the engineers, so the engineers I'm trying to fix their problem from 150 years ago that built the initial sewers they were trying to do their best and they were they actually helped tremendously to lower the amount of cholera epidemics that are happening throughout the, the cities. But that was, ended up being short-sighted. So and so I, I don't have a clear answer for you, Tim. That's where the, uh, the faith and humility comes in.
0: All right, let's give another hand for our speaker.